Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. So take a deep breath, relax, and enjoy some words from Rabbi Lizzie. Welcome back. You may have noticed that during this pandemic, I started wearing glasses. Do I need them? They're blue light glasses. Are they a fun accessory? Yes. Am I looking for ways to keep life interesting when travel and eating in restaurants and visiting with friends and play dates and seeing parents is all not really possible? Yes. Yes, I am trying to keep life interesting. Ta-da. This past week, in our office at Mishkan alone, one person on our staff got a tattoo. Another dyed her hair purple. I actually also shaved the back of my head in a sort of mohawky thing that I'm hoping will grow in in a funky way. You can't really see it. That's sort of the beauty of it on Zoom. You don't really know it's there, but it's there. People bought new homes, relocated just for a change of scenery did an elimination cleanse involving a lot of flaxseed. All of this mostly just to keep things interesting and maintain a sense of control over what you can control in the midst of this wilderness zone between where we were last year at this time, not knowing anything about what the future would hold, planning a few months in advance, thinking surely this will be over by June. Okay, by August. Okay, we don't know anything, right? And and now knowing enough to know that we're headed the right direction, but we're not there yet. And most of what will get us there is still beyond our control. We know enough to know that we are still in the wilderness. And people in the wilderness get restless and we need healthy coping mechanisms for the extended monotony of time, for the sameness of the scenery day after day for the anxiety of not knowing exactly when this will end, for the grief of knowing exactly what and whom we've lost during this time, but not yet knowing what we'll get back and how much of it and how soon, and if things will be better, what that will even look like. And yes, of course, I'm, I'm talking about COVID. But I'm also talking about the fundamental condition of being human, which is to be bamidbar, in the wilderness, moving between certainties, between the actual certainty of the past and between the imagined certainty of the future. And it's when the imagined certainties of the future are in doubt that we really begin to lose it. So here's an example. This week we read in Parshat Kitisa in the Torah about the Israelites having had the actual experience of oppression and slavery, the actual experience of watching the miracle of the Red Sea splitting and then walking through it on dry land, the actual experience of seeing and hearing the shofars and the thunder and the lightning at Sinai and seeing Moses go up 
to go get the Torah from God themselves. And after all of this action, the people are down at the bottom of the mountain waiting with Moses' brother, Aaron, who is in charge of like a million or so people who have never been in charge of their own time before. And he's never really been in charge of anybody before. And 40 days later, the Israelites were expecting Moses to be back by noon. And it's afternoon and they're waiting and they're anxious and they're ready for this to be over. So they just call it. And they say, masks off, everybody. Let's go back to what we were doing before. It's time. Oh no, wait, sorry, that's Texas. <clears throat> Let's build a golden calf, they say. This man, Moses, who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. Aaron, make a god to go before us and lead us. And Aaron, despite, you know, he, he attempts to delay and deflect, he facilitates the people doing exactly that, pooling all of their gold together that they brought up from Egypt, melting it down into a statue and gathering around this golden image of an Egyptian god singing, this is your god, O people of Israel who brought you out of Egypt. And embedded in the Hebrew there is the implication not only of idolatry, but sex and violence and coercion. It's like they went ahead and took all 10 commandments and just sublimated, ignored, and denied them. You know, God's oneness, not to make graven images to imitate God's oneness or substitute for God's oneness, not to murder, not to lie, not to use sex inappropriately, and, and just left it all on the cutting room floor for a momentary taste of release from the anxiety of not knowing what was coming next. They put a physical answer in the space where there had been worry and how sweet it must been, must have been right, for those few minutes or hours when they enjoyed the singing and the dancing and the revelry and the sense of a common project all coming together, it must have been so exhilarating. Such a relief. And it was short-lived because, of course, you know what happens next. Reality check. Moses comes down with the tablets, hears the drums and sees the orgy and the idolatry happening with his own eyes, and he is so enraged, he smashes the tablets God made for him, which, of course, contained a lot of really helpful clarity that the people would have really appreciated if they had just been able to wait. He tells the Levites to go through the camp and slay anyone who had been part of this and 3,000 people die. It didn't have to go that way. This was a mostly preventable crisis. What if Aaron had said something else to the people when they asked him to build a calf? What if he said to them, you know, everybody, take a deep breath. Wait for this urge to pass. Moods tend to last 45 to 90 seconds. So just sit tight, everybody. My brother will be back in a day or two. And they just let the urge to do something stupid pass. What if the people had had something to do during those 40 days of waiting? Had role models suggesting daily or weekly practices to keep them grounded, spiritual practices, minion maybe. Um, maybe they had, would have volunteer gigs or a daily gratitude journal 
Or what if they had decided to sign up for an online class or anything to give their lives a holy sense of purpose and connection while they waited? All of this could have helped the Israelites avoid not just the dramatic punishment at the end, but the anxiety and the sense of uncertainty that produced that fatally poor judgment. If only they'd had a tattoo parlor in the wilderness or a hair salon or a way to flex some creative control in their lives, like the Mishkan staff in the wilderness, right? The whole Torah could have been different. This is considered, this episode is considered the original sin of the Jewish people, according to Hasidic masters. I have a lot of sympathy for these Israelites. It is hard to be on a journey toward a destination that glimmers in the horizon but seems perpetually out of reach, which is very much how this time is coming to feel. Right? It makes you want to just give up and go back to the way things were in the before times, to return to what you knew before, just like the Israelites created not just any image, but the image of a comforting Egyptian symbol for God. And so the Torah cautions us, resist the temptation to go backwards. This is what leads us to the dangerous denial that has caused so much pain and so much unnecessary loss. Dr. Gary Slutkin is an infectious disease doctor who has studied the dynamics of contagious disease and its implications for violence for the past three decades. And he said, the epidemic of COVID-19 in the United States is one of the largest preventable failures in modern history. But the blame does not go to one political leader alone, but to a culture that is not used to inconvenience or personal sacrifice for the greater good. He said, we're not out of the woods yet. There's still way too much complacency and more preventable death to come if people let down their guard prematurely before we have control. Letting down their guard at exactly noon on the 40th day instead of exercising that critical spiritual muscle called patience. Patience. And we are beginning to go backward. Right? People are letting down their, our guards prematurely before we really have control of this thing. And it's more than just the small and medium-sized risks that many of us have taken out of necessity or out of exhaustion or out of desire to do something or see somebody that will bring us joy. It's what that means at scale. I'm remembering back to the beginning of lockdown when we went outside and noticed how strangely quiet the world had become. We were looking around at the empty streets and highways, listening outside, and we could hear birds and fewer airplanes. We were breathing cleaner air in Los Angeles and other cities where pollution and smog is at epidemic levels in and of itself. The skies were blue. People with asthma had fewer asthma attacks. We were realizing that many of our jobs can actually be done without so much commuting and travel. Feeling extreme gratitude for people doing essential work and frontline work and healthcare 
for our mail delivery and Amazon workers who were just simply doing their jobs and, and in doing so taking care of the world. And we thought to ourselves, and we said it out loud then, what of what we're doing now and learning now do we want to take with us? And I want to remember back to those early days because I don't want to lose that question. What of what we learn do we want to take with us? Because we are beginning to lose it in our rush to get back to that sense of security before the time is really right. One example close to my heart is that at the beginning of this epidemic, global carbon emissions went down to something like, at a point, 17% below where they had been. In some parts of the world now, carbon emissions are even higher than they were. According to the International Energy Agency, global carbon emissions in December of 2020, just two months ago, were 2% higher than at the same time in 2019. We, we lost everything that we saw that we could do in just a few months. And you know, the UN releases reports with relative frequency, reminding us, reminding governments of the world of the suicidal trajectory that we are on as a human race in creating conditions on earth that are destroying life as we know it. And despite knowing this, despite hearing this on a regular basis, humanity has not mustered the collective will to put our survival before our short-term convenience or wealth. Right, as Dr. Slutkin said, we are a culture that is not used to convenience, to inconvenience or personal sacrifice for the greater good. And yet, and yet, and yet, before we get too depressed, this wilderness showed us what we are collectively capable of. We actually can muster the will and the ability to drop carbon emissions enough to reduce global temperatures. Reducing the severity of fires and hurricanes and rising sea levels and earthquakes and cold and heat, potentially helping us avoid devastating environmental damage and preventable loss of life. We did that. We could do it again next time, maybe on purpose. But it's up to each one of us. After a year of incredible hours and sweat meeting the demands of hundreds of millions of people relying on Amazon workers, these workers are beginning to unionize and advocate for their collective well-being and fair treatment. This is something learned in the wilderness. This is progress. Within a year of lockdown, we have not one, not two, but three really good vaccines in circulation enough to vaccinate the entire country by summer. This is a breathtaking demonstration of human ingenuity and perseverance and vision. And we're beginning to already see the beautiful moments of what happens when we wait long enough to create the safety for human reconnection that we will all one day feel again. But we're still in the wilderness now and we're still waiting and we are still in need of healthy ways of finding meaning and connection and inspiration during this time if we are going to avoid sliding back into old and dysfunctional habits that have plagued us as individuals and as a society. So let's return to the story, see, see how it ends. After the dust settles, Moses goes back up the mountain. And Moses has a romantic reconnection with God's backside in the cleft of a rock. 
you'll have to come tomorrow morning to hear more about that. And God reminds Moses that Moses is leading the people toward a promised land. Reminds them they are moving in a direction. You're not just stagnating. You are actually going in a direction. And then he says, on the way there and every year, celebrate the following holidays. Passover, the Festival of Unleavened Bread. It's the seven-day holiday celebrating freedom and the beginning of spring. Do that. Don't forget. Shabbat, it's a weekly holiday. Practicing rest and reconnection with the earth and with other people. Practice that. Don't forget to do that. Okay, then 50 days after the Feast of uh, Matzah, Passover. So then there's this other holiday, Shavuot, or the Feast of Weeks, which is all about celebrating the harvest of spring and also the receiving of Torah. Yeah, don't forget to do that. So you've got the seven days of Passover, the 50 days between Passover and Shavuot. And then, right, right, in the fall, you're going to have another holiday called Sukkot. That's a seven-day holiday where you celebrate the ingathering of your grain and produce before kind of going into hibernation mode. And then the Torah doesn't mention this, but I'll just add it. Like lest we get uh, too sort of um, too hibernated in the winter, practice a seven day holiday of bringing light in the middle of the darkness. And this way you will bring meaning and purpose to every single month of this interminable thing we call time. God says this, that, that is the covenant that I established with you in the wilderness. And so this year I have a newfound appreciation for the brilliance of the Jewish calendar because it's all about mapping meaning onto the world in the midst of monotony and meaninglessness and waiting. God offers up this series of festivals that aren't about filling the anxiety with security born of a physical thing. Rather, it's about creating space for us to focus on the preciousness of time and to give time different purposes and qualities that enhance the meanings of our lives and enhance our sensitivity to all manner of different human experiences. This is how we navigate the wilderness. And so the gold that went toward making the golden calf it's not inherently wrong and bad, but because it, it can be repurposed. It gets repurposed into the creating of the Mishkan, which is not a fixed item, not an idol, but actually space, space in which to fill with meaning, with celebration. And every celebration and festival and holiday has its proper time that teaches us how to wait, how to walk, how to have short and long-term goals in the midst of a journey toward a destination that is still a ways away, but we're pointed in the right direction. So I want to say to all of us tonight, right now is when we need to hold each other up, to check in on each other, to hold each other's hands across distance, to make phone calls, send texts, tell people you love them, send them cute emojis, and hold steady and encourage fun and healthy ways to cope with this wilderness and stay the course we've been on and not slide backward, but instead to take this time right now to imagine and build toward the future we want to live into. How can we help each other shape this time meaningfully between now and whenever we discover that we actually have exited the wilderness? So 
to close, I'll just say Passover is coming up in three weeks. It is taking on new meaning for me this year as I think about cleansing, unburdening, exodus, everybody who's, you know, been sort of living in your space, dwelling in your space, you know, is having a new experience of what does it mean for me to live here? Passover is a holiday that is all about um, thinking critically and meaningfully about the space you inhabit and, and re-sanctifying it in the spring for the new year. I look forward to harnessing more of that meaning with you and helping all of us together make these weeks and months matter for you as we walk together step by step and day by day. We will get there with all of our funky hair and tattoos and new homes and scars and bruises and losses and lessons from this time. We will get there. So stay strong, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month, and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org slash events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan, thanks for tuning in. <laughs>